you guys know I've been doing a little bit of international travel here in the last year or so, and one of the cities that I have uh, totally fallen in love with is London. Uh, I love London. It's a great city. It's got all this kind of beautiful historic stuff. There's statues everywhere. There's a lot of old stuff, and it's not like New York City, which New York's cool too, but it doesn't have like the big skyscrapers, It's so you don't feel like they're closing in on you. There's just something about London that's really cool, and on the way over to Uganda in October, my family got to go. We had a 12-hour layover, so we just went into town for a few hours. That was great, and then on my way back, I had an eight-hour layover, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do London on my own. Like, I can handle it. It's good. I love London. So I um, got into Heathrow Airport. That's like the most um, uh, busiest airport in the world. Got in there and I got to the little uh, station there and I got my ticket to go on the tube. That's like the subway for you non-London knowing people, right? And I got on the subway and it was awesome. There was like London British people all around me. You know, I was loving it, you know, and I rode into, uh, right into the center of London and I was getting excited and I went up all the stairs out of the tube and I got out there and there was this guy like selling British fruit and I was like, yeah, it's breakfast time. It's time for some British fruit. And I got all excited. I was giddy like a little schoolgirl, but I didn't have any money, you know, because I didn't have any pounds. So I went to the ATM and they gave me some pounds to go get into London. So I don't know how much I got, but I just pulled out some pounds out of the ATM and I got some fruit and it could have been the most expensive fruit in the world. I don't know. I just gave him some pounds. He said, here's how much it costs. It looked like this. This is my, this is my fruit stand, right? So I got some, I, I, when you're in London by yourself, you just take pictures of whatever, right? So there's, there, there's my fruit, right? And I said, okay, everyone said, I got to go to the museum. So I got excited. I'm going to go to the museum. So I, um, I went and uh, found the British Museum. That seems like the one, if you're going to be in there for eight hours, that seems like the one you got to go to. So I went to the British Museum, and I was going to be the first uh, guy in there. And so I got right up at the gate, 9 o'clock. They opened the gates, and I walked inside of the British Museum. This is what it looks like. It's a beautiful building. It's marble, and it's so great. you know. And I like walked quickly across the courtyard. I was going to be the first guy in there, November 1st, 2013. It's this guy. So excited because I was in London. And I got in there and I said, okay, what can I see? And they said, well, n- nothing till 10 o'clock. I mean, you could get in the building, but you can't see anything till 10 o'clock. Well, what am I going to do for an hour? So they said, well, you should go get coffee. I don't like coffee. So but they said, go down the street and went down the street. And I, um, I said, okay, I'm going to go get some hot chocolate. So I went and this is where I sat. This is what happens. You take pictures of chairs when you're by yourself in London. And outside, you know what's outside there? London with British people and stuff. It's awesome. So cool. And then um, the British people, they told me they love me because this is my cup of hot chocolate. Look at this. Boom! They love me. That's right. British people love me. That's why I have love, love London. London loves me. It's good. It's all good there. So then I finally I got into the museum and I was all excited. And uh, they said, well, you got to go see the, all these old grandfather clocks. That's really cool. So I went and saw the grandfather clocks this is what they look like. And I said, uh, on the same floor, just another hallway. Well, you're not going to believe who was there. William Shakespeare. He was there. And so I was like, I got to get a selfie with William Shakespeare. So I did that, you know, selfie with William. There you go. Boom. Count it, right? It's going so great. This is the greatest museum tour of all time, right? He's not really alive. It's just that guy. But then, then um, I went downstairs, and they've got this thing called the Rosetta Stone. It's there. It's really old, and it helped them, like, discern all these languages. You know what? It, boom! Selfie with the Rosetta Stone, right? You got it. And then they've got all these great old um, 
statues and stuff. And there are certain parts of statues that just did not fare well through history. But I thought I would take a picture of that too. And so this is like one of the statues. It just did not fare well. It's like Aries there. It didn't fare well. We're in church. So I don't need to go into detail. I'm just telling you some things just didn't fare well through history. And so I got back on the plane a little bit later and I was kind of having these deep thoughts about the museum. And this was my first one, which was, you know, in our generation, um, what is it that's going to be remembered? Uh, what is it that's going to be kind of museum worthy in, in this generation? Is it going to be like the iPhone or the iPad or will there be like a shrine to like the Duck Dynasty? I mean, what is it that will be remembered from our generation? And then probably partly because I was in London, you know, so I was having like deep historical big time perspective thoughts. And I thought this question, what is it about my life that will be remembered what is it that's going to be museum worthy? Is there going to be anything that I do that I'm about that would be um, worth retelling that story? Is it going to be my 401k that I've amassed this huge fortune in my 401k or uh, my house or the tidiness of my house or the, the things I accomplished in my job or the people I got to meet or the things I've won? Is, is that what's going to be kind of museum worthy? It's kind of a good question as we get ready for the holidays. Well, you know, I, I do love London, but we live in this unbelievable country. We have just all these great opportunities to kind of live uh, what we call like the normal American life. It's just really incredible. You, you have an opportunity to, to get a great, stable job. There's a lot of opportunities. The economy's pretty good now, again. And, you know, we have a, a place to live, kind of a place we can call home and we can create a, a little family there. We can have a kind of a, a, an appropriate number of kids. I mean, that's not high on our priority, apparently, you know. But some people think of the appropriate number of kids and the right pets and the right activities and the right people to encounter and hang out with. And the normal American life, it, it actually sounds pretty good. We see the commercials or we see the advertisements and everything seems to be like, so shiny and so together and so wonderful or maybe we look at our neighbors and we think that's that's where life is man that's that's museum worthy if they could just kind of make a shrine to that like that's really incredible that's great but every now and then i wonder if there isn't something more that god wants for me and, and as the pastor I, I kind of have those bigger thoughts where i said i wonder if there isn't something more that god wants for us you know, some of these things that we love about the American life might actually be obstacles for us to living out God's plan in our lives. For instance, we love comfort in this country. I mean, we just love it, right? I mean, today's the perfect example, or this weekend is a perfect example. You know what I'm going to do this afternoon? I'm probably going to go home, and I can, already, I can picture it now. I'm going to be like laying on the couch, and like maybe the fire will be on, you know, and I'll be watching some football, maybe something good to eat nearby. I mean, I love comfort, that fire on a cold day. We love comfort food, you know, that savory food that makes us kind of feel better in any circumstance. It's just, oh, it's kind of comforting. Yeah, I love that comfort food. And we even would pay significantly more to buy um, comfortable chairs or comfortable bed or comfortable shoes. Ladies, you guys don't know anything about that. But there are shoes out there that are actually comfortable and they look good too. And we will pay more for those kind of things. We really value comfort in this culture. And when we're uncomfortable, it seems like we would just do about anything whatever it takes to make it stop. One of the other things we love in this country is we love convenience. 
I've heard it said that um, Americans' greatest fear is actually inconvenience. We want everything easily accessible, easy to get to. If it takes too long or if it's too difficult, we just don't want to have any part, part with it. I, I used to like cra crab legs. Now I don't like them anymore. It's too inconvenient. It's too much work. Okay, you got to crack them open and pull them out. There's all kind of utensils involved. Nah, just I want food ready to eat. You know, I don't need a, all that work involved. I, I, I can't understand why anybody would want to eat oysters. I mean, it looks like a giant booger anyways, but you got to do all that work to eat them. I mean, it's awful. We will have drive through everything. You know, I keep sending these emails to, to Moe's and uh, Chipotle to, to make a drive through burrito joint. I mean, that would be so great, right? You know, maybe join the campaign. You know, drive through, then you don't have to get to, like past the mega sneeze guard or anything like that. You can just drive through, boom, they give you the burrito. It's so good. I love convenience. We have disposable everything because that's more convenient. We have disposable diapers and disposable containers and disposable cameras and disposable toilet paper. Well, I'm kind of glad about that one. But you know what I'm saying, though. And if we are ever inconvenienced, I think our, like, our first emotion is just frustration, just anger. Like, I'll just put it to the test. Let's listen to this. Right? These three letters, D-M-V. Right? You know, our blood starts to boil already going, oh, such an inconvenience even just to have to go there and then all the people and then they're all rude to me. And all, it's, it's awful. It's so inconvenience, you know. And then you think about the guy with the 15 items in the 10 items or less line. Oh, man, you just want to strangle that guy, right? You get so inconvenienced, man. You know, just frustrating because we love convenience in this country. The other thing we love is, uh, is security. We go to great lengths to kind of insulate ourselves from any kind of pain, any kind of bad thing. We save our money. We buy insurance. We get cars with uh, uh, airbags from every direction. And we really want things to be as predictable as we can. Uh, we chase after that, that kind of the elusive, balanced life just so we can kind of have everything under control. Everything is just the right amount of everything. And to be honest with you, you know, security and comfort and convenience, those aren't bad things. They're not all that bad. But the problem comes uh, when God invites us into his adventure. Because a lot of times it's unpredictable. It's, it's messy. At times it feels unsafe. Usually involves unexpected events. It might even feel reckless at times. So when we're asked to do any of these types of things, like uh, help someone in need or give of our resources or, or serve from our, our, uh, our, our gift mix and, or forgive other people or share our faith, we just kind of hesitate because it would cause us to get out of that comfort, convenient, security zone. Or when we're at that crossroads in life where uh, we get offered that next job move or the, the promotion that might cost our family something or waiting till, married, uh, till we're married to have sex or having a difficult conversation with kids or relatives or a colleague, we just kind of, we get paralyzed into inaction, into staying where we are. The fear of the unknown just creeps in and the, the fear of the unexpected can overtake us. So... Um, the question is, is it possible that uh, by striving for some of these things in the American life, comfort and convenience and security, which again are not all bad things, but is it possible that we could be missing out on what God might be offering us, the best God might be offering us? Well, uh, 
with the Christmas story, we have an incredible example of uh, someone who, whose life has really been immortalized, uh, a life whose story has been told millions of times, not because they were the most comfortable, not because uh, uh, they had accomplished perfect balance, but because they actually uh, accepted God's plan in their lives and trusted that he knew best. It starts like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, um, this is Mary, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Christ. Not really, that wasn't her last name. But um, she is held in high esteem. I mean, simply amazing, right? Because we know who she became. We know her because of the hundreds of songs that have been written about her. But back then, back then, she was just, just Mary. She was just ordinary Mary. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't the perfect young girl that we see in the blue flowing gown with the pink on her. But she looked like she has everything together. She wasn't the Mary that we have millions of those figurines made from her. I call them action figures, but my wife doesn't like that. But um, uh, that's not who we're talking about. She was just like you and me. She had an ordinary life full of joys and pains, fears and frustrations. She giggled with her friends. She got sick sometimes. She had failures and pressures of bills and family and relationships, social pressures, job. And at this time in her life, she was also in the midst of planning a wedding. So we actually do have this tendency as we read through the Bible, as we hear people talk about these people, to put kind of these superpowers on the biblical characters. But the truth is, uh, the reason they're amazing and remembered is not because they were so extraordinary. It's because they were just like us. But in the midst of those pressures, in the midst of that life they were living, they made incredible decisions. They made incredible sacrifices to trust God. So the scene is set. Let's see what, Mary, what news Mary gets. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now here again, we, we read these words, and they're so familiar, and they're connected to such a fun and comfortable and peaceful story that we get distracted from what is actually happening here. You see, Mary was about to get married. She is a bride-to-be. And one of the things no bride wants to hear are these words, you're pregnant. It's not part of the plan. You see, Joseph and Mary, they had big dreams, big hopes. They were going to get married and have a beautiful wedding with their friends and their family around. They were going to celebrate, and then they were going to get into their lives. They were going to kind of stabilize things. They were going to build a home and maybe even travel a little bit before they had a family. And then at, right, at the right time, they were going to have a family then. That's how it was supposed to work. The timing is just not Right. Well, let's see how Mary responds. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Well, for those of us who have taken ninth grade biology, we recognize that she's got a very valid question there. Um, so let's see what old Gabriel has to say about that. And says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He says, listen, Mary, God's got a plan. God will make a way. And to be honest with you, this is still where I would be saying, isn't there another way for the Son of God to come into the world? Couldn't he just step down from the sky? Couldn't he just be zapped down into creation? I mean, isn't there another way for the human race to be rescued? Because here's the thing. Mary's probably thinking, if it happens this way, I mean, I'm just going to be so misunderstood. I'm going to be so embarrassed. I mean, my family might ostracize me. I mean, Joseph may not want anything to do with me. Am I even ready to be a mommy? I mean, or what if I break him? I mean, what am I supposed to do, uh, take care of the Son of God? I mean, am I supposed to breastfeed or bottle feed, public school or private school or homeschool? I mean, there's a lot of questions to be answered here. And in that culture, there's even more, even more there. Because being pregnant outside of marriage, the law called for her to be stoned. And I don't mean in a medicinal way. <laughs> That's too easy. Come on, you got to go there. So when God asks uh, ask us to do things in our lives, we do the same thing too, don't we? We ask, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way for my marriage to be repaired? I mean, do I really have to communicate? Do I really have to open myself up? Do I really have to forgive? Do I really have to go to counseling? Isn't there another way, God, for my kids to grow up and be great kids? Or do I really have to be present? Do I really have to pray for them? Do I really have to engage with them? Do I really have to teach them your truths? Isn't there another way for the homeless population to be helped? I mean, do I really have to give of my own stuff? Do I really have to go and interact with them? Do I really have to go and get into the mess? I mean, God, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way for my neighbor to know God? I mean, do I have to be the one to build a relationship with him? I mean, he's so annoying. I mean, do I have to be the one? I mean, he's so weird. Why do, why do I have to be the one to go share him, invite him to church and get to know them? I mean, isn't there another way for the church to operate? I mean, do I have to be the one that serves and serves the coffee or goes back with the kids? Do I have to be the one that gives and helps the budget get raised? I mean, isn't there another way, God? Isn't there another way for me to grow in my character, for me to grow in my righteousness? Or do you want me to really come to church and read my Bible and set time aside and live a different life? Isn't there another way, God? Isn't there another way you want to use me? Isn't there another way, an easier way to be in relationship with you? Back to the story. This is where um, Mary gets famous. This is why we tell her story over and over again. This is why she's got millions of action figures out in the world. Listen to her response. Despite whatever questions, concerns, or doubts she might have had, she says this. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. This is an incredible, simple, beautiful faith-filled response. God is saying to Mary, and God is saying to us, I, I'm going to step down 
into the mess of this world. I've chosen not to solve the problem of sin from a distance, but actually to enter in. Not in a sterile way. It's not convenient. convenient. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to be disappointed. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to go in places where I don't belong. I'm going to enter in and love dirty and broken and hurting people. I'm going to be vulnerable. I know it's not going to be safe. In fact, it's going to be so unsafe and I'm going to be so misunderstood that the very people that I created are actually going to kill me. They're going to hang me on a cross to die. But I'm going to enter into the mess. Will you join me? God asks, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to enter into the chaos with me? And Mary said, yes. Not my will, not my plans, not my agenda, but your will, your plans, your desires, not mine. God wants to do something incredible in your life, in my life. He, to invite him, to join him in the adventure, in his epic story. If we're willing to set aside some of our comfort, some of our conveniences, some of our security, and be willing to take that step of faith. And it starts by us listening. Are you in a, uh, in a position where you regularly open yourself up to what God's plans might be in your life. I don't want this to sound like mysterious or mystical or anything like that. And to be honest with you, I'm not always great at it either. But there's a couple questions that I feel like I find myself constantly asking to make sure that I'm in tune with what God's doing uh, in and around me. Uh, the first question is, are you exposing yourself to God's word regularly. Now, I choose that word exposing on purpose. Now, I, Dave read my sermon earlier in the week, and he said, surely, Chris, you don't want to use the word exposing. I mean, in church, just some images that you don't want people thinking about you exposing yourself to. And I said, no, I do want to use that word because I want to really open myself up fully to God's word because I know it's God's truth. It is the truth about life and about who he is, about who he's making me to be. I want to naked myself before God's word because I know it changes me. It changes my perspective. It changes my behavior. It changes my attitudes. And I need it if I'm going to actually hear from God. The next question is this. Are, are you in a community with other believers that push you to be all that God created you to be? I'll tell you, I am by far a much better person when I spend regular time with my small group. I can really feel it when I'm not with them after a while. I just feel like I'm not as willing to, to take the risks I should, to, uh, to love people the way I should, to love people deeper, to follow God's calling in my life. I'm uh, really dependent on that small group of people. I'm a better person when I'm connected with some other believers. The third question is, are you in places where there are hurting, broken people, where life is messy. It is. Life is just messy. And, and when Jesus was on the earth, that's where he seemed like he was most drawn to, was entering into that messiness of life. So when we enter, enter into the lives of people that are hurting and broken, that's where we are likely to find Jesus, calling us in deeper, revealing more of himself to us. Do you know what's going on with your neighbor? Do you know what's going on with that person that keeps showing up to work sad? 
Do you know what's going on with that, uh, that mom or that dad uh, in the sport that you play or that your kids play that always seems angry? Are, are you willing to go and find out? Are you willing to go and uh, find uh, hurting and less fortunate people in this community and, and begin a relationship with them or see how you can help and see what you can learn from them? Are we willing to expose ourselves to enter in with hurting people? Because that's where God is. Where are the places that God is asking you to join him in this adventure? Once we've heard, once we've listened, the next step is acting. And we, when we act on uh, what we've heard, we make the statement, I believe that what you say about life is actually true. Action validates our belief. It shows that we believe and trust the promise giver. We, we know how this goes. We've got kids, right? And um, when we ask them to do something, uh, it, it's so nice. Right? We say, hey, well, can you turn the lights off? Can you keep the door closed? Can you put on your shoes? Can you eat, eat your vegetables? Uh, don't run in the street. When, you, when we um, ask them to do things, when they don't do it, oh, yeah, it just is so frustrating and it communicates that they don't really trust us, that they don't really trust us that we know what's best for the life and what, in that little area or that little question that we're asking them. But when they trust us, when they do it, they communicate that so clearly. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad, I do trust you. I turn off the lights. I do eat my vegetables. I do do this. Even when there's maybe some discomfort or inconvenience involved, they communicate that trust. You know, um, it was a couple years ago, um, Kylie my daughter got uh, a splinter in her foot, and um, you guys know where this goes, right? So she's kind of hobbling around, and we finally get to the end of the night, and I said, hey, Kylie, would you like me to take that splinter out? And she said, oh, Dad. I said, now, do you trust me? Um, I do trust you, Dad. I trust you. I'm like, all right, well, that's great. Um, now, I'm going to go get the tweezers. No, not the tweezers, Dad. Please, not the tweezers. Well, I'll need the tweezers to get it out. Do you, do you trust me that I'm going to take care of you? Yeah, Dad, I trust you. Okay. So I'm going to get the tweezers, and I start kind of going in on it. No, Dad! Oh, oh, oh. Okay, all right, we'll back this up. Okay, I'm going to put the tweezers way over here. Okay, can you see the tweezers? I see the tweezers. Okay, do you trust me? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look at it with my eyes. Yes, Dad, I, I, I trust you. And I'll hold it. And Oh! Kylie, is my vision penetrating your skin? Like, is there pain happening? I don't have that power. I'm just looking at it. Would you see the tweezers? They're right over there. I see the tweezers, Dad. I trust you. And so um, I try and I'm just going to touch it just a little bit. Oh, no, Dad, don't touch it. Oh. And on and on it goes. And we didn't get the, 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 the splinter out that night. <laughs> but for those of you who like the end of the story, the, tw the, the splinter did come out eventually, okay? So, but that's how that goes right? Although she said that she trusted me, at that point, she didn't really trust me because her actions didn't line up with her words. Throughout history, God has put this high value on trust, real faith in him. In my time with the Lord recently, I've been reading through Hebrews, and I um, got to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it's really great. If you've never read it, you should go home and read it. But you have this list of some of the great heroes of our faith. It talks about a guy uh, named Noah who took a job that uh, he that made no sense to him, didn't make any sense to anybody in his family. Uh, but God told him that eventually it would pay off. 
He talks about a guy named Abraham who packed up everything he had. He had a, a great life and uh, packed up everything he had, moved to a new area and downsized and began living in tents because God told him he had plans for him there. It, it talks about a woman named Sarah who, um, who didn't have any children, was barren her whole life. And then when she was very old, he finally said, hey, you're going to have a child. And she trusted in him and acted upon that. Talks about a man who was willing to do the unthinkable and sacrifice that one and only son that he was given. He takes him up, uh, up a mountain to sacrifice him there. Now, God had other plans, but he acted on it. That's the beautiful part of that story. It talks about parents who boldly raised their children differently than anyone else in their culture and the impact that it had on that country to change it. It talks about a group of people that stepped out in their faith and acted and trusted God against armies of people and dangerous natural elements, but that they acted, they trusted God. They lived museum-worthy lives, but they were ordinary. They were just ordinary people, just like me and you, but they listened and they acted on what God said to them. Is there something in your life that God is asking you to do something he wants you to start uh, start uh, giving start serving start uh, reaching out to that person at your office is there a project he wants you to take on is there a step of faith he wants you to go on is there something in there in your life that God is asking you to start to come and be a part of to join the adventure is there something in your life that God is asking you to stop is there a relationship that's destructive in your life that he just is saying, please just cut it off now. You need, you need a break from that. Is there, is there a habit in your life that's destructive, that's keeping you from healthy relationships, healthy relationship with him, that he's saying, no, I want more for you. Please just stop that. Cut that out. You see, God places incredible value on us really trusting him, probably because, as we know, it's the foundation of every great relationship. And that's what's most important to him. Deep, intimate relationship with each of us. Now, as um, many of you guys know, I'm right in the middle of this uh, right now with my family. We started the process of adoption a few months ago, so we're right in the middle of this um, act of faith, act of trust thing. And, and just to take you guys back, I, um, Jenny has uh, kind of been on board for a long time. She she loved uh, uh, the idea of adoption. She has a young brother who was adopted and so kind of always thought, oh, maybe that would be part of her life. But for me, nope, not at all. I thought, you know who adopts? Crazy people. That's who adopts. Not people like me in their right minds. That's not. I'll just have some normal biological kid. That'll be fine for us. That'll be good for us. But not, not adoption. I'm not going to do that. But... Um, you know how God works. He begins to kind of raise your awareness or stir things up. So about a year ago, we went over to Uganda. Uganda is a great country with a lot of great people. But, um, and we got to see kind of some of the things that Watoto is doing. They're doing incredible work over there. But one of the uh, things that was made aware to me was that there was, uh, in a country of about 34 million people, there are 2.5 million orphans in Uganda. Uh, just to put that in perspective, that's 7% of the population or one in every 14 people. One in every one of the rows here would be uh, an orphan. Same in Kid City. That's a lot of orphans. And so uh, I began to go, okay, well, that's awesome. Maybe, God, what you are stirring me up about is to just support Watoto any way I can. And so we, we decided we would just sponsor some kids there. And 
I'll tell you what, what Toto's doing is incredible. I mean, if you're not already sponsoring a kid, I would recommend to do it, man, because they're doing an incredible job. But right now, they're at capacity, and they're reaching about and serving about 6,000 orphans. That's amazing. But there are, um, like I said, 2.5 million around the country. And so, um, you know, God just kept on stirring us up, and uh, it just seemed like every passage of Scripture that we read, every book we read was uh, talking about orphans. Every movie we turn on, you turn on Despicable Me, it's about orphans. I, I mean, God was just trying to get our attentions with everything he, he could. And so we just kept on thinking, kept on praying about it. But I'll tell you what, guys, I was scared. You know, we, um, we had our kids in a good place. They got along pretty well. We were out of the diaper phase, you know, potty train and everything. And, um, you know, just about to get into school, we were really comfortable. Things seemed to be right in line, just the way we would plan it. But this adoption thing, I mean, I mean, will we have enough food? I mean, the kids eat stuff, you know, and I got to feed them. And, I mean, will we have enough room in the house? I mean, they got to live somewhere and... How are we going to provide for all these kids? God, are you sure? I mean, and two, it's always been two. You keep saying two, and really two to go from three to five. Is that really what you want? I mean, what if you never know what you're going to get, God? What if they come in and they wreck our family? You know, what if they just destroy what we've got going on here? God, are you sure this is the right thing? I mean, I was, I was scared. I had my doubts and my fears, my concerns. In the spring, I went to this um, conference, and one of the speakers got to the end. They said, hey, we're just going to give you a few minutes to, to think, to reflect, just to maybe listen. And so um, Jenny and I have been having these conversations, and so I said, all right, I'm just going to listen and hear what is said. Uh, and in a very distinct way, um, God said this to me. He said, um, Chris, don't be afraid. I, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I got this. I'm not going to lead you into this adventure just to abandon you. I I'm with you. You don't need to fear. And so I went home that day, and I said, all right, Jenny, let's go. Let's do it. And uh, she got all excited because she's always waiting on me to catch up. <laughs> and she got all excited. And so we started the paperwork. And this process that sometimes on the short end takes nine months, uh, on the long end it takes a year or two years or three years to get uh, referred children. We went through our paperwork and got referred children in about four and a half months. And so God has been in it from the minute that we started. It's really been incredible the way that um, funds have been collected and people have been very generous with us and uh, things have fallen in place and uh, it's really been remarkable to see the way God has worked and moved. And um, I, uh, many of you guys know where this story goes, but in, uh, we got our court date and we got our court ruling and we got some really good news, which is Jonathan and Caroline uh, are going to get to be a part of our family. And um, one of the fears I had, uh, honestly, was uh, when we would go over there, what, how would they even respond to us? But I, I think I've even shown you this picture before, but even from the very first day, they were just so ready to be part of a family. So this is Jonathan on the very first day. That's my boy Jonathan, five-year-old Jonathan. He wanted a dad. No, we all want a dad. He wanted a dad. And then um, this, is, uh, this is me and my boys, right? They don't look like they're wrecking my family. And this is Jenny 
with Caroline and Kylie. And this is us. This is the, the seven seas, right? The Cockrums. That's us now, right? And uh, that's exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. And I'll tell you what, God's, God's adventure in our life is continuing. And um, I tell you, just like this was an unexpected adventure, even to start with, to even walk through the adoption process, the, the adventure and the unexpected turns continue. Because uh, with our ruling of legal guardianship, they also said that according to the law, we will require for your children to stay in country for 36 months. That's a long time. And um, uh, they don't really usually hand out that ruling. It has nothing to do with us. It's a brand new judge. And he just said, uh, this is how I feel about it. I want you guys to stay in country 36 months. And so we're now in the process of kind of appealing that ruling to hopefully bring our children home sooner than that. But in the meantime, we're just in the adventure. And we've been amazed the way that God has surrounded me here while I'm here. And Jenny and the kids are over there. And she, he's put these other incredible families around her that it's just been part of God's family. He's done incredible things in my kids' lives. He's connect us, connected us and knitted us together so quickly. It's really been remarkable just to be a part of it, to be a part of God's adventure. And let me tell you this, um, I, I'm not a superstar. I, I don't have it all together. I, I, I don't make all the right choices, to be honest with you. If I had a nickel for every time that I heard God say something to me and then I didn't do it, I'd be a rich man. And, and even, I'd even be wealthier for all the times that I even didn't even take the time to listen to God. But I listened and I acted this one time. And I tell you, it's changing my life. I love being on the adventure with God. I'm learning that the goal of life is not stability or balance. It's just not. It's not to gather up the comfort and conveniences that this life has to offer. The goal of life is to listen to God's plan for your life and then to act on it. I am completely confident that God is calling each of us to a much bigger story. God is wanting to do something in your family. He's wanting to do something incredible in your neighborhood. He's wanting to, to do something incredible in this community. At this time, God wants to do something. And to be honest with you, I, I bet you probably already know what it is. You probably already have some inclination of what he's leading you into to, to give of yourself or to, to serve in some way or to help someone or to forgive someone, to serve some underprivileged people, to enter into those messy situations. You probably already know what it is, but maybe you've just been a little hesitant to act on it. But he's asking you, do you trust me? Will you join me? Listen. Listen. And then act. And let the adventure begin. Let's pray together. God, I'll be the first to just ask for forgiveness. I, I'm not exaggerating when I, when I tell you and admit to these folks how many times I've heard your voice, your calling in my life, and then just not had the courage or been too selfish to act on it. And I know in, in doing that, I've just missed out uh, on opportunities that you have to, to change me and to expose me to different things and allow me to experience different things that will grow me and Teach me more about what life is really all about. So forgive me. God, um, if you would, continue to be faithful 
to speak to us, and we, we're going to open ourselves up to really listening. Maybe it starts this holiday season that we would open ourselves up to really hearing your voice in our life. And it might be something similar to what you said to Mary that night. You might um, say that very same, so some of those very same words where you say, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You have found this favor with God. And then God, give us, give us the courage to have a, a response similar to Mary's. I am your servant, Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. Because we want to be on the adventure with you. We want to be in it with you. So God, um, help us to listen. Give us the courage to act. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.